I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sherry. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Sherry M., or otherwise known as Valley Sherry. I'm a compulsive overeater and your leader for tonight. Thank you. Uh, just to share a little bit of drama with you tonight, um, I had two emergency client calls as I was walking, as I was driving up, and I had my quarters in my hand for the meter and my cell phone, and I got out of my car and locked it. So my pictures, my size 24 dress, my purse, my car keys are all sitting on the front of my car. So Susan Green has her cell phone on, so I hope it rings soon because AAA is going to come bail me out. So does anybody have a pair of reading glasses I can use? Oh, goody. Thank you. What's your name? Hey, Walter, without the flag, I'd never know. That's surrender. He has a surrender flag called Walter. I didn't recognize him without the hat. Nice to see you. Thank you. Oh, God, I can read. Yippee! Okay, um, this, let's see. Am I supposed to read anything? Oh, good. Okay, I'm so used to reading a format. I don't even have to read, but thanks for the, for the glasses. Uh, to qualify, my name is Sherry. I'm a compulsive overreader. I will have 17 years of back-to-back what I call perfect abstinence on September 12th of this year. 17 years. My top weight was 260 pounds. I was busting out of size 24. My size 24 dress is waiting in the car for me. And I usually hold it up here at a meeting because I was told that that dress is waiting for me. So I'm either marching towards a size 6, which, you know, I am today, and I get to wear cute sweats because before if I showed up in a meeting in my sweats at 260 pounds, it wouldn't be too pretty. But thank God somebody gave me a heads up and said, there's no air at this meeting. I was like, great, I know exactly how to dress. So um, it's nice. Anything fits today, you know. And uh, so, like I said, I'm either marching towards a size 6 or I'm marching towards a size 24. And, um, you know, people think that once you're abstinent, that your problems are over with. But abstinence is merely just the plug in the bottle, what it is, you know, like sobriety is to the alcoholic. So our abstinence, I've had people say, Sherry, I'm perfectly abstinent, but man, I've got a problem with my food plan I'm putting weight on. So, um, you know, after all these years that I've worked with people, I've started doing this workshop called the ABCs of Abstinence, and I'm going to be doing another workshop down in... um, I think Torrance or Lomita on August 12th, and I think it's on the on the website. But if you're having trouble, I really encourage you to come to the to the workshop. It's a good fundraiser for South Bay, and it's called the ABCs of Absence: Mapping Out Your Absence and Food Plan. So, when I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I was I don't I don't have my pictures, my but I don't have anything in front of me today. But I was in my 20s. And I only had 20 pounds to lose. So I really encourage you, if, you, if you're in the room and you're looking around like I used to look around, well, I'm not the fattest one here. I'm not as fat as her. I'm not as bad as him. Just remember that I came to my first meeting in Overeaters Anonymous, and I only had 20 pounds to lose. So I met you guys, and I was in my early 20s, and I really liked you, because in our literature it says we're normally a group of people that would not mix, right? And most people say, oh, I just thought those were a bunch of coops. But you know what? I really liked you guys. You're all really welcoming and hugging and 
Gee, I love the story, especially the dramatic ones, you know. So I couldn't stand the readings. Like, hurry up with that chapter 5 stuff and those steps. I, come on, let's hear those stories. So anyhow, I came to my first OA meeting. Like I said, I had 20 pounds to lose. And you know what? I lost it. I went to a few meetings, went on a superb diet, lost that 20 pounds. And guess what? Okay, remember, relapse is not a... Gosh, I just said this to somebody the other day. Relapse is not an occurrence. It's, relapse is a process. It's not like, it doesn't happen like, relapse, there it is. It, it's a process. So I stopped going to meetings, you know, and I never had a sponsor, right? So I put that 20 pounds on plus more. So I literally dieted my way to be 100 pounds overweight. So when I was in my dramatic size 24 dress, those of you that have known me have seen this hideous looking red and black dress. Good, Triple E is there. She's leaving the room to go. Hey, bring my dress up in pictures, okay? Oh, it's not that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully we'll get to see some pictures. Um, so... Anyhow, so literally, here I am in my size 24 dress, and every night I'd have your, your basic size 24 dinner, which those of you that have had that kind of burden weight loss is, you know, two pizzas, six day candy bars, right? And I'd curl up in the, in the edge of my bed going, God, God, what am I going to do? Help me, help me. You know, that was the kind of prayer I did, only when the stomach was full, you know? And, uh, you know, it was like, oh, you know, go back to OA or, you know, go do the Oprah thing or, you know, what was that called, OptiFast back then? So I said, well, you know, OA doesn't work, so, you know, I think I'm going to go to OptiFast. So I did all the interviews with OptiFast, and they said, okay, sure, just write us this check, you know. And I said, okay, let me think about it one more time. So I went home and I thought about it, and I said, you know what, if I have 100 pounds to lose, I know I can lose it. I've seen people lose it all the time. But I've also seen me and everybody else gain the weight back. So I thought, you know what, I better not do anything at all. So I didn't. But I was going to do OptiFast, so I had gone to three interviews. And because I really knew, you know, it says you have to concede to your innermost self that we truly were compulsive overeaters. I really did that outside of the rooms. I really got that I'm a compulsive overeater. And if I was going to lose 100 pounds, that meant I was going to put 100 back on. And so instead of being 260, what, I was going to be, what, 285, 300, 305? And I knew the little things I used to say to myself, I'll never let myself be 150. I'll never let myself be 160. I'll never let myself be 185. It's like, boom, 200, 205, 225. And it's like, once you hit that 200-pound mile marker, something happens, and it's like, whoop, and it just grabs on, and it does not let go. And it's, it's a horrible roller coaster. I don't care if you're 20 pounds overweight. It was as bad as 20 pounds overweight as when I was over 100 pounds overweight. So anyhow, um, I continued, you know, with my two pieces and 68 candy bars going, God, God, help me. What am I going to do? So if I was passing around my pictures right now, um, on the front of it, there's a girlfriend of mine, and she's the one that said, hey, so-and-so's husband doing this weight loss study. Why don't you call them? So, uh, you know, OptiFast, you know, it was like, what? $10,000, I don't know what it was, and this weight loss study, a dollar, okay, so that was appealing to me, like, OA, a dollar, so I went to this weight loss study, and some of us got placebos, and some of us got some drugs, and um, when I went to this weight loss study, I met this girl, and she was a darling size six, married to the doctor, and she was so charming, and so sweet, and so when I spoke with her, and I'd check in, and she, she'd go, Oh, I just lost 50 pounds. And when she said that to me, it was like, 
she's got the magic. I mean, my eyes just kind of glazed over. And I said, you did? And she goes, yeah. And I go, did you do it here? And she goes, no, no. They're going to call you and go in. I'll tell you next week. So without making a long, long story longer, I came back for six weeks, and every week this girl told me the same thing. Come back next week, I'll tell you how I did it. So at the end of this, this uh, medical weight loss study, do you think that I had gained weight or lost it? I'm in a room of my fellows, right? I gained weight, okay? To this day, I don't know if I was given a placebo or if I was given a, um, a drug. But how insane is that, right? We would rather do something really insane to our body than do what we really need to do. So um, anyhow, I met this girl, and uh, so on my last time I went to the study, she said, hey, want to meet for lunch? And I was like, God, this woman's never going to go, yeah. And so it was a day like today, and she goes, why don't you meet me at the uh, Sagebrush Cantina? So I said, okay. And those of you that are not from the area, Sagebrush Cantina is way out there in Calabasas. Well, 16 and a half years ago, that was what I call a high chaparral. It's just there's some cows out there and dry, dusty land. And so here I am in a size 24, and I'm wearing that red and black dress, black nylons, black patent leather shoes, my summer statement, right? And the sleeves are long. Oh, God. And it's hotter than you know what out there. And so we're sitting outside dining al fresco. You do not dine al fresco at 260 pounds. I still don't even like it today because I don't like to. So anyhow, we're sitting in these director chairs. They're red, red and white tablecloth, dress is red and black with a red umbrella, and they bring the chips. Well, I'm at just perfect peace and ease in the world now. So I'm having my chips, and we're eating, and it's this seat is stretching, and I'm eating, and I'm eating, and I'm eating, and I'm eating. And pretty soon, I'm six inches off the ground, and my chin is like this with the table. And I'm thinking, is this girl ever going to tell me how she lost weight? So I thought, you know what, I better ask her, because this woman hasn't told me for six weeks. She's probably not going to. And I was ready for her literally to strike me magically thin. That's all I wanted. So in Overeaters Anonymous, it says the only requirement for membership is what? A desire to stop eating compulsively. So all those years that I had laced my life with OA, I was never really a member. Because I didn't want to stop eating compulsively. I wanted to be struck thin and eat two pieces and six to eight candy bars. I would still love to eat like that today if I thought it would make me look like this and feel good. Okay, bring the pictures up, Susan. Thank you, Triple A. Um, so I said, I said to her, I said, are you ever going to tell me how you lost your weight? She goes, oh, yeah. Now, this is six weeks unprimed, right? I go, well. She goes, have you ever heard of Overeaters Anonymous? Uh, oh, way? Uh, no way. That doesn't work. And she looks at me like this. She looks at me up and down. And then she looks at herself up and down. And she goes, it doesn't? She had me. And I said, well, it didn't work for me. And she goes, what was your sponsor like? I said, well, I didn't have one of those. She goes, how many meetings did you go to? I said, oh, one a week, maybe two, you know. Just. She goes, oh, you know, not too impressed with me. She went through the 12 steps and the 8 tools, and she asked me what part of the big book I liked and the steps, and I said, well, I don't have those books. And she goes, sure, what makes you think that you did OA? She goes, you didn't do OA. You did Sherry's way, and Sherry's way doesn't work. 
Well, anyhow, to this day, she swears I asked her to be my sponsor, and I can promise you I never asked that woman to be my sponsor. But I did call her every day for an entire year at 7.15 in the morning, and whatever she said to do, I did. And you know what? Before I knew it, I had lost 20 pounds, and it was painless. And I was like, wow. And this is how we started my abstinence. First off, we... Um, she goes, why do you think it's called abstinence? And I go, I don't know. She goes, what's sobriety? And I said, sobriety means that you don't drink alcohol because that's what sets off the, I knew that much to say, to sets off the phenomenon of craving. And she goes, well, we're going to set your abstinence the same way because she goes, I believe that abstinence is the same for a compulsive overeater as it is to an alcoholic, except for our abstinences are all different because we have kind of like you have your blood cursing through your veins and I've got mine cut person through my veins, so what sets you off is not going to be the same for me. So, um, and she goes, where does the word abstinence come from? And it was like, OA. And she goes, no. She goes, our program is identical, it says in our literature, to that of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she goes, let's read the doctor's opinion. So we did. And she said, what's the two most important lines here? And I was like, oh, I'll probably get this wrong. And so, you know what I did? I, I don't know if I got it right or wrong, but it's burnt into my head. And it says in the doctor's opinion, it says, seldom does frothy emotional appeal suffice. And so she goes, what's frothy emotional appeal? And I go, I'll start a diet on Monday. Well, I'm imperfectly abstinent, and I'm up 20 pounds, but I keep coming back. She goes, that's right. She goes, how about this time you stick and stay and be perfectly abstinent? And I said, okay. And she goes, what does it say about abstinence? She goes, it says, abstinence is the only relief we can suggest. Excuse me. Entire abstinence. Excuse me. Where's my book? The only relief we can suggest is entire abstinence. And she goes, what would you like your abstinence to be? I go, man, if it's food, I'm eating it. She goes, let's just pick something easy. Food Abstinence is how we eat, and food plant is what we eat. I think I said that right. I'm losing my train of thought a little bit. Triple A's. I'm hoping they get my purse. Um, so um, I go, well, what's your abstinence? She goes, well, I, mine's pretty easy. And she goes, it's three meals a day with nothing in between and a floating food if necessary. And I said, well, that sounds easy. And she goes, you think you can do it perfectly? And I said, well, I don't know. And she, and she further explained it to me. And she goes, it's three meals a day with nothing in between a floating fruit if necessary. So she said, your meal, you know, basically lasts, you know, for like an hour. You know, you, you have a breakfast and you have life in between. You have lunch, you have life in between. And you can eat whatever you want as long as you do that and you don't eat in between your abstinence. So I said, there's my purse coming through the door. Good. Um, so she goes, you can eat whatever you want. I was like, you're telling me I can have a pizza for breakfast, a can of cashews for lunch, and a, you know, Doritos and bean dip for dinner? And she goes, yeah, as long as you don't eat in between. Because she trusted in the 12 steps. She knew to do baby steps with me. And I've seen so many people through the years that have come in, and they want to do what these, you know, very grown-up abstinent people do. You know, like if you heard my abstinent and tried, and tried to uh, do what I'm doing after 16 and a half years, good luck. I say start where I did. Just like if you had a baby, you wouldn't put him on a mountain bike and say good luck. You'd teach him to sit up and get confidence and to walk and to ride a tricycle and his glow worm or whatever kids do today. And then you'd 
teach them how to ride the bike, okay? So my abstinence, I started off with three meals a day with nothing in between a floating food if necessary. And because I was just eating three meals a day and nothing in between, you know what, when your size 24, I lost 20, I lost 20 pounds doing that. I was like amazed. So then, I liked my life so much better. And we were doing the first step. And in the first step, and before I start with the steps, how much more time do I have since I'm so off track here? Oh, goody. I'm going to show you my pictures and dress real quick. So, um, Here is... Susan, thank you so much. You're such a dear friend. Both my Susan's friends over here. Here's my pictures. I'm going to go ahead and um, just pass these off to Mickey and pass them around. I keep the two normal-looking pictures on the front because I never want to forget for one minute that Eve, because those are normal-looking pictures and I look normal today, but the reality is that I am a full-blown compulsive overeater and the disease centers in my mind, not my body. I never want to forget because if I do, like I said, I'm either marching towards a size 6 or I'm marching towards a size 24. Sorry, this is like a big bed sheet here. Okay, this is my dress. Woo! What a fashion statement, okay? So look, look. I mean, you see me, right? Okay. So that, that was my big fashion statement. And it's waiting for me, okay? So I don't kid myself for any one minute. Okay, let my hair down. Blonde. Love being blonde. My truth, okay? I don't kid myself for any one minute that this blonde hair is going to last. Because in reality, it's got these dark roots here, okay? And I don't care because I'm willing to do the work it takes to be blonde, all right? So I'm either, so in reality, maybe it's not a good analogy, but in reality, I'm really a thoroughbred. I am a full-blown compulsive overeater. There's nothing lighthearted about it. 260 pounds busting out of a size 24. So I don't forget for one minute that I have one enemy. It's my mind. Okay, so I'm either marching towards a size 24 or marching towards a size 6. But as long as I stay right here in the middle of the game, right here, right now, then I get to look like this every day. I get to have this confidence, bubbling over with confidence. You know, I, I walked in the room. I had a trouble, okay? It's a trouble. It's not a problem because I've grown myself more fully into a much larger person at a size 6, because at a size 24, if I had had that problem, I can guarantee you I would have cried and had to go to Taco Bell. Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> I remember one time I was up in uh, Central California visiting my cousin, and my little BMW broke down, and I cried. Tools for living. She goes, Sherry, what's wrong? Do you not have the money to fix this? I go, oh, I have it. She goes, can you not miss work? Oh, I can miss work. And she, and she goes, well, then why are you crying? I don't know. Tools for living. Made sense to me. Okay? Had to either cry or eat. Today, it's like, oh, I got friends. Susan took care of it. There was no drama. I just, you know, and, and you know what? Make sure that you make friends in program. Make sure that if you don't show up in your seat at a home meeting, somebody chases you down and go, where the hell have you been? And hopefully you'll say, hey, I've been on vacation. Didn't anybody tell you? Because I love when that happens, all right? So I have a seat in every single meeting that has my name on it. I belong here. You guys are my people. You're my family. And that's how I have the great life that I have today. So to kind of move on into the steps, Joni said to me, she said, um, what's step one? She was always testing me. And I said, I admitted I was powerless over food and that my life had become unmanageable. She goes, wrong. I go, wrong? what it says. She goes, not in my meeting. 
She goes, let's look at it together. And back in those days, we didn't have the OA 12 and 12, so I learned this program straight from AA's 12 and 12. And it says, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. And she goes, do you know why it says that? Of course I didn't know why. She goes, because I can't, but we can stay abstinent together. And she also taught me that the last line in the first step says, we, we stand ready to do anything to have this merciless obsession relieved. And, she, and so she said, are you ready? And I was afraid to tell her no, so I said yes. So it's very important that when you work with someone or they're working with you, that are they really ready to do anything to have this merciless obsession relieved? So when I work with people today, I'm really clear because I have page after page in my big book where it says that we were given clear-cut direction, that we're thoroughly following the path of the people before us, a hundred of them that have recovered. It's it's very clearly, even where it says the steps, it says suggested when they were originally written, it says... Uh, directed? It says directed, okay? So just remember that if you thoroughly follow the path of those of us that have recovered, you can have the same thing. But if you do what I used to do, which was Sherry's way, you're just going to get fat like I did, okay? So when I decided to do anything to have this merciless obsession relieved, I did. So my sponsees, I say, got to go to meetings, got to give service commitment. I have a whole list of things to do. And they do it. And they go, wow, this is so easy. I, I've lost so much weight, and I don't even know how I've done it. Because, and it's just what happened. What happened with me with Joni is because she trusted her higher power enough that she knew that if she cracked me open with the 12 steps, God was going to come in and enter me and expel the obsession. Okay? So it says that this, the book has been written mainly for us to solve our problems, not cure us. Because the only thing that's cured is the ham, right? So, okay, so, so there's a solution. And all I have to do is do it every single day. So nobody's brushed their teeth and said, okay, I'm done with that for the next 30 years. So if you get this concept, these practice, these principles in all your affairs, start doing a little bit of program every single day, life will take on a new meaning, just like exactly like it says in the book. So step two, it says, you know, that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And um, I was like, you know, well, what's that mean? And... Um, so, you know, I knew you guys could restore me to sanity because I was already feeling a way, way lot more sane. And um, I was like, well, what's this power thing? And she started talking to me about God. And she said, you know, why don't you say this prayer every day? And I said, okay, great. You know, she was giving me lots, lots of direction, but my life is changing. And so she goes, say this every day for two weeks. God, I turn my life and my will over to you today. Place in me your will and give me the power and the courage to carry it out. And I said, well, you know, I don't know why I have to say that prayer. I already pray every day anyhow. And she goes, when? And I go, when I'm warming up my car. And she goes, good. And um, I go, you know, I already, believe, I already believe in God. Why don't we just get on with the four steps? And she goes, Sherry, she goes, we're not after belief. We're after reliance. She goes, do you know the difference? Of course, I didn't, so I had to go look those two words up in the dictionary. So I found out that belief and reliance are entirely different, you know. And so when you have belief in something, this is how a friend of mine says this. 
She says, if you believe that evil Knievel can jump over the Grand Canyon, that's a belief, right? But faith is getting on the back of the bike and going over with him, okay? So I started saying that prayer every day for two weeks, and at the end of two weeks, I had a real shift. And she goes, tell me how you feel. And I said, well, you know, I feel better, but I don't know why. And she goes, do you think it's because you've taken your will, you've stopped, you know, that self-righteous will, pressing that out upon the world? Do you think that you just are not so willful now that you're just kind of open to what life will bring you? And I said, well, yeah, I just, I don't feel so self-will run right. I do feel more relaxed in the world. I'm more comfortable in my body and things were getting better. And so when it says, step three, it says, made a decision. It doesn't say come to believe at this point. On step three, it says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of, we, as, uh, care of God as we understood him. And so it's like, first you make the decision and the will in our lives. And she goes, well, what's our will and what's our lives? And it's like, okay, our wills are thoughts and our lives are our actions. Okay, so we have to make a decision to turn our, thought, our will and our life over to the power of God as we understand him. She goes, you can't be the God of my understanding. And she goes, I doubt that it's going to be the God that you've understood before now because you've been agnostic as to application even though you said that you believe in God. She kind of had me there. And she said, um, you know, I had to kind of do a list. What, what do I really turn over to God, right? And what don't I? Guess what I didn't turn over to God? Food. Uh, you, you take care of the job. You take care of, you know, mom and dad and whatever. But I'll take care of food. Okay? Food was the hardest thing to surrender. Still the hardest thing today to even talk about, right? So anyhow, you make that decision, you turn your will and your life over to the care of God. So with that, then I came up with this other little prayer, which I call the surrender prayer. Not to be confused with the serenity prayer. And it goes kind of like this. You know that my car, I locked my keys in my car tonight, and I had dirt all over me walking up here, looking for keys underneath it. I thought, maybe I'm clever enough to have hidden keys, but who knows? Could be in there still. Um... So I said, okay, God, there's my purse, there's my keys on the, on the, and there's pictures that I don't have any more of those pictures. So it's like, you know what, here's my surrender prayer. God, if you want my purse and everything to be there in an hour, then let it be there. If you don't want it to be there, don't let it be there. Place in me your will. Give me the power and courage to carry it out. And I say that over everything. It takes my will out of it. And like, whatever happens just merely becomes the trouble. Because God hasn't taken me this far to throw me off the ends of the earth. If God took care of one problem, he can take care of another one, as long as I'm willing to grow in my faith towards my higher power. You know, because I'm either going towards my higher power, size 24, right, or to stay right size and size 6 and live my life out the way it's turned out. And it is really wonderful. So, you know, as you see in my pictures, you'll see this really handsome man in the back. And I've been married to him for over, uh, I think about 12 years now. We've known each other 14 years. And um, before I met him, I was just dating like crazy. But my first year in program, my sponsor says, no dating. I was like, oh, God, why? And she goes, because the man that you will attract today will be entirely different than the one you attract in six months from now. Well, that kind of makes sense, and my life was changing so much. I really wanted to give myself completely to the simple program, just like it says in Chapter 5. Because it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. 
those who don't, you know, won't give themselves completely some program. And I had already done it my way, so I was like really taking direction and things were changing. So at the end of six months, I said, now, because I was looking a lot more like this and flicked my hair over my shoulder. And she goes, no. And I said, why? And she goes, because the man that you will attract today will be entirely different than the one you attract in six months. So anyhow, at the end of that six-month period, I said, now, because now I'm really looking good. And she says, yes, now. And so I dated, and I dated, and I dated. And I'm telling you, I kissed so many frogs. And I didn't meet one prince. <laughs> so finally, I said this little prayer, and I said, God, you know what? My life is so much better. I love my life. I love everything I'm doing. You know what? If it's your will that I get married, then let me get married. If you don't want me to get married, then don't let me get married. But place in me your will and give me the power and courage to carry it out. And I also said, and if you really do want me to get married, let him look like what you want him to look like and drive what you want him to look like. And then I did all that stuff, right? Anyhow, to tell you the truth, I met my husband two weeks later. And when I met him, I recognized him like that. And we talked about getting married. We talked about getting married that very first week, but we realized no one would take us seriously. So we dated for a year and were engaged for a year and did all that stuff. And we have had a fabulous, fabulous marriage all these years. And I just, you know, if I thought we couldn't get any closer the day we got married, it's such a lie because we are so tight today. And um, just love that man. So anyhow, that's um, how much do I go to 620. Oh, goody. Okay. So, um, gosh, what do I want to tell you? You know, I want to say this, that in the year 2000, I really want to say this. If you take one step towards God, whatever your concept of God is, if you take one step towards God, I promise you he'll take ten on your behalf. I have so many examples of it. In the year 2000, the Y2K bug really hit me. Every month of that year, I had a terrible thing happen. In January, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and I became her sole caregiver, and that was rough. I was a much better daughter to her than she ever was a mother to me. My father-in-law had a stroke. My sister-in-law died. Our house caught on fire. They told me I had ovarian cancer. And every month, it went on and on and on. And just to not have drama here... It was a misdiagnosis, but it took like months for them to come through that process. And I have to tell you, still looks like this, because I made a decision that I was going to be abstinent till I died. When I got abstinent, I realized to my innermost self that I had one abstinence in me. Because I had been around the rooms for so many years. See, I could be up in front of you today saying, I have, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, 25, 29 years of, of uh, abstinence, but I don't. But I've been going to meetings that long, okay? But I was never absent because I didn't even know what the difference between absence and food plan was. So I only have 16 and a half years of abstinence. And I used to say, God willing, in September I'll have 17 years of absence. I don't say that anymore because an old-timer, thank God for the old-timers that have stuck around and carried the message to me. That's why I'm still here. And they said, Sherry, God's always willing. Are you? So I never say, God willing. I just go, you know what, I'm absent. So I got this concept in me that wanting doesn't necessarily lead to having because in our 12 and 12, the AA 12 and 12, it says he wants, you know, when it talks about alcoholic number one, maybe it's the big book, I'm sorry, uh, the big book, and it says alcoholic number one, number two, number three, number four, and it says he wants to want to stop. That was me. 
I wanted to warn this child. I didn't know how to heal those soldiers. I didn't know what was going to fix that, except for two pizza, six-day candy bars, and anything else that was out there. So wanting does not necessarily lead to having. Committing is good. Excuse me. Choosing is good, but committing is best. So I committed. And when I'm committed, there's no wiggle room. When I'm choosing, I'm like, well, I might do it this way, I might do it that way. But when I'm committed, then I go, you know what? Whatever happens in my life, I stake my claim of abstinence. I am not leaving. Because life can be full of problems or troubles. And I choose to call them troubles because I want to be larger than my troubles. Because if I take one step towards God, he'll take ten on my behalf, right? Like God feeds the birds, but he doesn't throw the seeds into their nest. Alright, so I need to trust, as long as I do my part, God's going to do his. But he's not going to do for me what I can do for myself, right? So if that means close the refrigerator, make an outreach call, okay? Because if you have the ability, then you have the responsibility, right? Close the refrigerator, pick up the phone, hey Sherry, I'm standing here with the refrigerator. Good, shut the door, walk into the next room. Like, do whatever it takes. I've had to do that. Do you think that was fun? Absolutely not. Do you think it's scary to call somebody? Yeah. I don't like it. The we part of this program is still the absolute hardest for me. I want to be me, me, and more me. We, we, we is just hard, right? But that's where the peace and the serenity is because in step, in step five, it says, you know, in step five, you know, where you give your four steps to someone, it says this is the beginning of true kinship with man and God. And I was like, wow, I finally feel like one of many in the world today. Finally. The only time I felt okay right here, right now, was with my food. Not with you guys. I was never going to get married as long as I was face down in the food because I didn't really know how to have relationships. If you look at me, I'd go into the party. It'd still be size 24, still the star of the party. I always did my hair and makeup and always, you know, looked great. I was just fat. And I really believed that was my one problem. I really believed that one problem I was fat. I put down the food. Man, I found out I had so many problems that I was like, man, let's get to work because this stuff is working. How cliche if you work it, right? So um, I'm kind of tripping around on the steps a little bit here, but let me just jump off to step nine. I had a sponsee one time. She said to me, she goes, sure, I've been around longer than you, and I've never obtained and maintained a healthy body weight. And I said, well, what, what do you think's going on? And she goes, well, you know, I just haven't gotten the promises. And I go, well, what promise? And she goes, you know that one that says that, you know, uh, we'll recoil from food as a hot flame, that we'll, you know, react automatically, that, you know, life, uh, you know, will have freedom from financial insecurity. And she's doing all that. And I go, well, what's a promise? And she goes, well, you know, I'm supposed to get that. You haven't been here. I did not. She, like, looked at me like, what the heck are you talking about? And I said, a promise is this. If you do this, I'll do that, right? So if you, you know, if you carry my school books home, then I'll do your homework for you, whatever. I don't know where that's coming from. But anyhow, so I, so it says, step nine, I mean, in the ninth step promise, it says, if, if you or we, if we are painstaking about this phase of our process, progress, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through, right? Okay, so it doesn't say, if I am painstaking, it's we. And see, we is the first step. So if you're like me, trying to do I, me, 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 more me, 
Well, guess what? You're just going to implode on yourself like I did. Okay, so we program, and it still only costs a couple of bucks, so it's like, why not do what we're told to do and get the miracle? So um, I said, if you're painstaking about this phase of your development, you'll be amazed before you're halfway through. You've got to get painstaking. She goes, well, what does that look like? I go, what's your absence? She goes, well, I don't know. I don't know the difference between absence and food plant. Well, I go, well, here's an absence and here's a food plant. Pick one for you, okay? Now, People's abstinence are entirely different. Now, I know one guy, he has to abstain from steak and applesauce. I'm like, man, haven't you ever heard of a burrito? So it's like some people, you know, like some, like that, if I had to eat, that would be like diet food to me. That is so, like, steak, like, yuck, I have to go have a steak with my husband. He loves Ruth Chris But it's just so, like, I don't like yellow food. I don't like white food. I want it really processed. I'm a bottom feeder. But that's how I like to eat, you know? So I don't know how I got onto that. But, um, you know, I just, I think I want to tell you my first compulsive bite. I was seven years old. I was born and raised in Glendale, California. And I'm at the Sears and Roebuck, and there's a garage that you go subterranean with. And down there, there was a little hot dog stand. And life got ugly really early for me. I'm an incest survivor, and I can tell you that's the gift that keeps on giving, but I can tell you from the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, this is a great place to launch your whole life. It's a wonderful place to begin all the healthy things that you want to be in the world and grow into the woman that your higher power or man that your higher power has set out for you to be. And uh, so anyhow, we go down into the, to the garage and we, you know, I'll get our hot dogs, my brother and I and mom and dad. And, you know, here I have this little white piece of paper, you know, a little doily thing, and it's got the hot dog, the white processed uh, bun and the meat, processed meat, and I don't have anything on it. And some people in programs, some other programs will say, you know, don't eat ketchup. That has to be your abstinence. It's like, don't tell me what my abstinence is. I need to tell you what my abstinence is. Because if you tell me that I have to abstain from ketchup because it has has sugar in it, it's like, man, come on, let's talk about french fries. That's where the real trouble is. You know, it's like, I'll put a little ketchup on a meatloaf. Who cares? I've never binged on that in my life. So anyhow, I have my real Coca-Cola with the shaved ice, and I've got my hot dog, processed white flour, processed meat, lots of sugar in the Coca-Cola, and for some reason, just like whiskey with milk, suddenly it appeared to him that it would be a really good idea to mix the two together, right? And then he says, he vaguely sensed he wasn't being any too smart. But something in him encouraged him to do that. So something encouraged me at the age of seven to dip my hot dog into the Coke, bite into it. Oh, it worked. And I was like, i got to do this again and again and again and again and again. And I did and I did and I did until I was 260 pounds. Okay? So food does work. So if somebody says, if they don't understand what you're talking about, then don't waste your time talking to somebody who doesn't understand. Food doesn't work. Food works. Heroin works. It's just like, you know, like, I was just too young for heroin. I was too young for alcohol. I had to get, get out of right here, right now. And you know what? Food, good quality control, readily available and cheap. So did it and did it and did it. was never a drug addict. I told you I'm a thoroughbred. Food, food can take me out of right here, right now, and you won't even know I'm high. You know, so I have to really watch out because I got to take that tiger out of the cage three times a day, and I got to walk away a winner. I can't afford to have a Siegfried and Roy happen to me, right? 
So I want to stay in the game. I have to be aware. I can't let my guard down for one minute. Because just like in the Whiskey with Milk story, it says that he vaguely sensed he wasn't being any too smart. And I'm not doing Siegfried and Roy's inventory, but to use it as an analogy, I wonder if Roy felt a shift in that tiger. And he was like, hmm. But he thought, well, just go on with the show, right? Like, how many people have you seen gone out going, hey, they've had a trouble in their life, and the food took them out. They vaguely sensed they won't be in any too smart, and they said yes to that one bite. But see, when you open that one bite, that's opening the gate to the cage. And if you're not prepared, it's going to eat you. And you may never get back up. Okay, so how do we heal the soul tears? It says we get a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So for me, I have to make sure that I do my recovery course. Am I done? I'm done. I'm a couple of minutes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'd love questions. Bring them. Okay. Questions? Yes. Oh, thank you. Uh huh. Um, they wanted me to repeat the, since we're being taped. We're, they want me to repeat the prayer, and it went something like this: God, I turn my life and my will over to you today. Place in me your will, and give me the power and the courage to carry it out. That was it. This is, will be on tape on the internet, I think. Another question? Yes. Oh, you're welcome. My daily routine, I have what I call my recovery quotient because to stay in the game, do you think it's been easy all these years? No. Okay, I had to make sure that when it was getting kind of, when I was getting to the edge of my abstinence, I had to go, i got to get back to the center. But my mind was now in charge. It was no longer really hooked into my higher power. I was like, how do I get back? I didn't know how to get back. And here I'm sponsoring these people. I'm giving workshops and helping out. And I'm getting lost. Okay, so I always go like this. It's a spiritual program of, okay, it's a spiritual program of action. Sometimes I can get so much into action, I forget spiritual. Sometimes I get so much into spiritual, I forget the action. So I wrote down in the back of my big book, I have listed my ABCs of abstinence, my abstinence, my food plan, that whole deal. And then I have what I call my recovery quotient, what I did to obtain and maintain a healthy body weight. The abstinence is good, but that's not the answer. The answer is to obtain and maintain a healthy body weight. That should be our primary purpose and to carry the message to the still-suffering compulsive reader, in my opinion. So, however humble it may be. So, um, so what do I do every day? I, so I look at my recovery quotient, but basically I get up every morning and I go into my guest room and I do my prayer and my meditation and my reading and I get centered with my higher power. I make sure I'm tethered to my higher power because if I'm a tether to my ego, which is tethered to fear, man, pizza's going to look real good in a few hours, okay? So I can't afford to go out into the world without being tethered to my higher power. It's very, very important. God, God, and more God. Just like with your cell phone, you can use it, right? But if you don't recharge it every night, you're dead. Okay, and that's how I feel. I cannot afford to do that. So I take my sponsee calls. I, you know, I lead workshops. I uh, 
go to work. I do whatever you guys tell me to do. Okay? So if you need clear-cut direction, we're more than happy to help. So get, feel free to always, anybody can call me. My number is 818-456-7710, and I'm saying that because I know this is on the Internet. I really love to help people. It keeps my program strong. Any other questions? That's it. Thanks so much for letting me share. God bless. Keep coming back out.